Greetings, and welcome to this, our sixth Soldier of Souls episode. We extend our usual hearty salutations to the Catholic Churches of St. Elizabeth and Seton and St. Henry's. And we also send out a heartfelt welcome to the additional sojourners from across the nation who have been joining our travels along the path of truth and who are searching out directions to that point of staying on that path. We are delighted to count all of you as part of our company as we travel along together in this world in order to live eternally with God in the next. Hi, I'm Deacon Tim Vaughn, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about the importance of almsgiving. For those using the Little Black Book of Lent, you may remember reading the following sentence. In planning for my future with the Lord in eternal life, it makes sense for me to give away some of what I have. St. Therese, in Story of a Soul, Chapter 8, elaborates on the essential conditions to give away should meet. Without love, St. Therese writes, deeds, even the most brilliant, count. Has nothing. In this statement, she echoes St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. But before we consider this final discipline of Lent, please join in prayer with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now for news for those in the pews. Just a reminder for you to pick up a Holy Week schedule. Extra copies are available in the vestibule at St. Elizabeth and Seton, and in the parish hall at St. Henry's. Please try to attend all the Holy Week services. All shallows are clear. Dr. Samuel Johnson said, We all know this is true. On the way very close to the shore, we see clearly the sand, shells, and little fish around our feet. The sun shines through the water in the shallows. It is warm there. It feels safe there. However, if we always remain in those shallow waters, we never experience or understand the richness and the variety present within the waters away from the shore. In order to do that, we must dive deep into the unknown. In this episode, we want to explore the depths of almsgiving and how it can be a gift to both the receiver and the giver.
Simply stated, almsgiving is a good deed of a gift to, to continue the Lord's good work. It can be greater than prayer or fasting. Why, you may ask? Because almsgiving is both prayer and fasting. It is a form of prayer because it is giving to God, not a mere philanthropy. It is a form of fasting because it demands sacrificial giving, not giving something, but giving up something, giving until it hurts. More importantly, giving alms can convert us into the witness of Christ that we are called to be. In short, how we can be transformed more and more into the me that God created me to be and to be drawn closer to God in the process. Of the three disciplines of Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, almsgiving is truly the most neglected. And yet, in the only place where in the Bible it mentions all three together, the inspired author puts emphasis firmly on the last. As we read in the book of Tobit, chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, it states, Prayer and fasting are good, but better than either is almsgiving, accompanied by righteousness. It is better to give alms than to store up gold, for almsgiving saves one from death and expiates every sin. Those who are regularly giving alms shall enjoy a full life. The word alms comes from the root of a Greek word that means pity or mercy. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, almsgiving has always been thought as a giving of something of value to help someone less fortunate out of compassion. Our example is Jesus himself, who has an endless compassion for all of us who are endlessly needy. Over the centuries, almsgiving has become more and more associated with giving money to help the poor. It has become almost simple and comfortable to throw a bit of money at a particular need. But does that sort of type of almsgiving best fulfill the spirit of it? In other cultures, giving money as alms is also common, but the purpose of giving alms differs from the Christian understanding of the action. As Catholic Christians, it is important that we recognize the difference so that our almsgiving will, as Matthew states in chapter 516, let our light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So first, let's take a look at a little of the history of giving alms, and then turn how different religions view this activity. Finally, I'm going to invite you to stretch yourself beyond waiting in the clear shallows by defining almsgiving as only giving money. It is my hope that thinking more fully about the Lenten discipline of almsgiving will challenge each of us to reach beyond giving to the financially poor and recognizing that individuals can be poor and needy in other ways. But giving in other ways is not only doable by choosing to dive into the deep dark waters of human experience. Swimming in the midst of those deeper waters 
present us with much that is unknown. Therefore, it requires us to develop spiritual discernment that relies totally on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because he is the person of the Blessed Trinity who will identify and makes us aware of those needs. The Holy Spirit alone can nudge and direct us in providing life-giving alms and empower us in this way to offer ourselves in love to the service and glory of God. Before the time of agriculture and permanent settlements that came in, it, there was no need for almsgiving. Life was nasty, brutal, and short for everyone. Those who did not contribute to the survival of the clan quickly met their end. The idea of almsgiving originated as people began to settle in larger groups that developed divisions of labor. Over time, these divisions formed into pecking orders that gave rise to classes within civilized society. At the bottom of these early societies were both lazy as well as the poor, for example, those who are weak, injured, disabled, sick, or elderly, with no family to care for them. Yes, not only will we always have the poor with us, we always have had the poor with us. There's nothing new under the sun. Since it turns out that every human is being hardwired for God, part of the civilized process includes the development of religious beliefs and practices. Almsgiving then became closely associated with those beliefs and practices, often as a way of pleasing the gods through sacrifice and offerings, rather than as a religious duty towards the poor. As religions became more organized, almsgiving was incorporated into each system. However, each has a different orientation and purpose for the performance of almsgiving. In Hinduism and Buddhism, dana is an ancient concept of almsgiving. It is defined as any action of giving up the ownership of what one's considered as one's own and investing in it in a recipient without expecting anything in return. For example, Hinduism discusses charity or giving aim at public benefit. The Hindu practice of begging for alms has also been common for more than a millennia. Some texts state that charity is a form of good karma that affects one's good circumstances and environment and that good charitable deeds leads to a good next life as doing good lifts the nature of one who gives. In Buddhism, generosity toward others is greatly emphasized as one of the perfections. It leads to enhanced self-confidence and courage and is the basis for universal proclamation of your fame and retribute. The giving of alms is the beginning of one's journey to Nirvana. We can see clearly that the motivation for almsgiving in these Eastern religions is quite opposed to those of Catholic Christians and Christians in general. Even though in the Eastern practice, the needy and even the general community benefit from the practice, it is not the main point of the giving. In general, giving is a duty that good people fulfill in order to achieve good karma in the next life, to enhance one's self-esteem, to gain fame 
and the respect of others and to enhance one's journey to nirvana. All of these motives involve some sort of legalistic work theology aimed at self-gain, self-glorification, and self-ennoblement. In other words, pride. Turning towards the religions of the Orient, we find that they are really systems of philosophy and thought rather than strictly religions as we have in the West and are familiar with. Both Confucianism and Taoism, for example, particularly emphasize the importance of family and social harmony rather than on supernatural source of spiritual values. The secular is considered sacred. So ordinary activities of human life, especially human relationships, are expressions of the sacred. Theirs is a belief that humans are fundamentally good, teachable, improvable, and perfectible through personal and communal effort. These oriental belief systems do not have a personal God. Instead, they embrace a sort of life force that produces the regularity of the world and the natural order, and so it resides in all things. Humanness, or the essence of human beings, is the compassionate mind. It is a virtue by which man may achieve oneness with heaven and the divine. The highest goal of these ideologies is to form one's body with all things where the self and others are not separated but merge into one. Almsgiving, then, will be seen as an extension of helping others by helping one another since all are one and the same. In Islam, giving to charity is one of the five pillars of Islam. Muslims who have wealth remaining at the end of the year after paying for all their basic needs are expected to pay a certain percentage to help others. This practice of almsgiving is called zakat, is the word for purify and grow. The Islamic motivation for almsgiving is the belief that it purifies their own wealth, increasing its values and causing one to recognize that everything one has is a trust from Allah. Yet another practice is giving a small amount of food to charity at the end of Ramadan. This is to be equally given by everyone at the end of Ramadan and is not a variable amount. Aside from giving money and food as directed at specific times and ways, a Muslim may choose to give money to charity from time to time, but it is not required. As with the Eastern religions that were discussed previously, Islamic almsgiving is a duty based on a legalistic theological checklist to please their deity, and alms are divine as primarily money gifts. The Jewish understanding of almsgiving provides the seeds of what became Christian almsgiving. In Judaism, the Hebrew word for almsgiving derives from a term literally meaning righteousness or right-wise relationship with God. Commonly, the same word refers to the religious obligation to do what is right and is used to mean charity. Judaism considers almsgiving as one of the great deeds that a person can do. Along with prayer and repentance, it is regarded as mitigating the consequences of sin. 
Faye almsgiving in Judaism is regarded as a continuation of the poor tithe, as well as the biblical practices, including permitting the poor to glean the corners of a field. Jewish farmers are commanded to leave the corners of the field for the hungry to harvest for food and are forbidden to pick up any of the grain that has been dropped during harvesting as such food that shall be left for the starving as well. With this emphasis on relationship to God and mitigating sin, the goal of almsgiving in the Jewish tradition is more similar to how Catholic Christians think about almsgiving. However, the focus is still on physical giving. Now there is nothing wrong with that, is there? But we are still going to try to swim in deeper waters, right? Jesus says in Luke 12, 48, For to whom much is given, much shall be required. We have certainly have been giving many blessings, including the ultimate gift of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Perhaps we should consider what is required for us to give and for what purpose. It may be useful to consider how Jesus himself gave to others during his earthly ministry. The Gospels are filled with stories how crowds surrounded Jesus, begging him to bestow his gifts upon them. Have you noticed that never once did Jesus simply toss a coin at someone? He spoke with, he touched, he sat with, he prayed for, he fed, he healed, he even raised from the dead. Jesus knew on the deep level what was to pour within each person. And that is where he directed his giving and his love. Indeed, as Catholics, we are challenged to extend the concept of almsgiving beyond the money to include time and talent as well. We must not neglect the ones living outside our lives. We can't just love God and ignore our neighbors that are indeed in need by our kind word or helping hand. Let me give you an example of what extending our almsgiving can look like by sharing a little story I heard recently from a friend of mine. This friend had a doctor's appointment one day and it was in one of the professional office buildings. And it was up on the fifth or sixth floor, something like that. And he was leaving and going down the elevators. And he was standing at the elevator bank on the far right-hand side. And the elevator opened and he saw an elderly lady walking on the other side with her cane, walking very slowly. And she said, you don't have to wait for me. You can go on down. He said, no, I'll wait. I'll hold the elevator for you. And so they rode down the elevator together and they talked and she was telling them about their doctor's visit. And on the ride down, they talked about weather, her doctor's visit and how she needs surgery. And she was very concerned about that. And as they arrived on the ground floor, they continued to walk together and she continued to tell her, tell them about her family and things that were going on in her life, and they were walking very slowly. And he told me that, you know, he was getting a little frustrated because he was in a hurry, but he said, I felt I needed to walk with her. And so he told her, do you want me to walk you to your car? And she said, will you please? 
So they continued to walk together very slowly, and she kept talking with them. And finally, she said, you know, I feel that God sent me to have you with me today. I needed somebody today. I was feeling so down, but now I feel uplifted. Thank you. And so he said they exchanged their names and that they would pray together for each other. Such a literal encounter has such an impact on each soul involved. So I want you to think about this story for a minute. Such a short encounter has such an impact on two souls. You see, if you are alive and if you are a believer, it means that God is keeping you alive and here on earth for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to provide you with opportunities to shine the light of love that he gave you on everyone around you. All spiritual disciplines are fashioned to refine our souls to make them more suited for heaven. But if we are not affected by doing a specific discipline like almsgiving, then the action is not a true one, and like an arrow that does not run true, we miss our mark. Jesus presents almsgiving as a necessary part of Christian life, as it says in Matthew 6, verses 2 through 3. When you give alms, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He does not say if you give alms, but when. Like fasting and prayer, almsgiving is not negotiable. Remember, as Jesus said, the second commandment is, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray that in the remaining days of this Lenten season, we will be attuned to the Holy Spirit and the nudges he gives us to help us discern those who are suffering from the poverty of spirit as well as the physical poverty. Let us pray that we give not only physical alms, but also the alms of a kind word, a tender touch, a listening ear, a note of support, or encouragement, or thanks. May we be blessed with opportunities to give a little of our time to visit, to give a helping hand with a chore, to give of our talents to benefit someone else, to smile for a joy of others. If you are doing this well, go deeper. If you are not doing it well, begin now. St. John of the Cross stated, in the evening of our life, we'll be judged by our love. Please join with me as we pray to home Mary for the courage to swim out of our comfort zone into the deep. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, 
now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember Jesus' words, wide is the road to destruction. So we remind you to stay on the path, and we ask the Saint Raphael, the Archangel of Travelers, God speed you on your sojourn.